Hello and welcome to the Alive Church in Newark podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today. We hope that you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged and inspired to pursue the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message. Right, so we're in a series at the moment. Does anyone know what the series is on? The value is good. That is a relief because that's what I've prepared notes on. Uh, so we're in, a, we're in a series at the moment on the values of Alive, uh, the 10 values of Alive. And uh, what I like to do, uh, rather than just explaining the values and just sort of accepting the, these values at face value, <laughs> uh, rather than do that, I like to, uh, I like to, um, to analyze, right, to, 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 to find out if this, if this value is good, if this value is biblical, if we find it in the Bible, uh, if it is a kingdom value or if it's something we've made up, uh, and then uh, if it is a biblical and a good value, uh, then how does that then apply to our lives? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, it's a tough crowd this morning. I feel like it's quite, it's quite tough this morning. Are you with me, church? That's good. That's better. So, uh, so we've been, uh, we've been looking at the values. We've looked at the values so far of team, being team. We've looked at the value of being relational. We've looked at the value of being honoring. We've looked at the value of being supernatural. And we've looked at the value of having excellence, being excellence, doing excellence. Uh, and this week, the value that we're looking at, the value that we're really investigating, the value that's on trial, as I like to say, is, uh, is this value of being invitational. Value of being invitational. Now, being invitational, being invited to something, it's nice, isn't it? Anyone ever been invited to something? Yeah? Yeah? Uh, it's nice to receive an invitation because you know, uh, you know that somebody wants you at something. Don't you? You know that somebody has thought of perhaps uh, an event or an occasion or a group or something like that, and they thought of you, and they've thought, "Hey, there's a there's a match here, right? I want that person at that thing." And so it's nice to feel wanted. It's nice to feel included. It's also, conversely, uh, not nice to not feel invited, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone remembers, I'm sure, the time at school. Right when uh, when the whole class is invited to a birthday party on Saturday, and uh, you know they're going bowling, they're getting pizza afterwards, and uh, the whole class is invited, but you're not. But that's fine. That's fine because you've got other things to do. Uh, you don't want to go, but bowling's stupid anyway, right? Uh, and uh, and then they get back on Monday, and they're talking about about the bowling, and they're talking about the party and how much fun they had. And you're sat there and you're listening to them talk about that. And, uh, and you're just like, I did better things than that anyway. Uh, I don't even like bowling, so that's fine. Guys, chill out. Anyway, it's only bowling. Let's calm down. Uh, but, uh, but it's not nice. And it would be absolutely ridiculous to hold on to that as well for 20 years, wouldn't it? And then use it as, uh, as kind of a, an opening to uh, preach, talking about the invitational nature of God. That would be, frankly, ridiculous. So it's a good job that hasn't happened here this morning. Why didn't you invite me? It's nice to be invited. It's nice to be invited to things. It makes us feel warm and fuzzy. And so it's reasonable, it sounds reasonable, does it not to suggest uh, that being invitational, that, uh, that inviting is, uh, is good? 
But as with every value of a live that we're looking at, uh, we need to know not just does it sound good to, to us, but actually do we see it in the Bible? Is it biblical? Uh, is it biblical to invite someone perhaps into, uh, into church or into the house of God or, uh, or into the family of God or, or whatever we're inviting people to? Do we see that in the Bible? And then how does it affect my life? How does it affect my life? So we're talking about being invitational and perhaps inviting uh, somebody to uh, something. But what exactly, um, what exactly does that mean? What exactly are we inviting people to? Are we inviting people perhaps to church on Sunday? Or uh, to be a child of God? Or are we inviting people to a life group? Or are we inviting people to the pub or for a coffee? What exactly do we mean when we say we're being invitational? Um, really, I think, as I've been thinking about this this week, I think uh, we're talking about being inclusive, aren't we? We're talking about including people actively, inviting people to things because we're living lives of inclusivity. Inclusivity. It's a good word, isn't it? What are you? I'm inclusivity. No, that doesn't work. I'm inclusive. <laughs> I live inclusivity. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? We've been, uh, been harping on for quite a while now. You're like, Don, will you open the Bible, please? I get it. I understand. Don't worry. We're about to do that. I'd like it if you could, uh, if you could turn to uh, the book of John, the Gospel of John, and, uh, and we're going to be looking in, uh, in chapter 3. John chapter 3. Now, firstly, I want to set a bit of context. I want to set a little bit of context, uh, historical context, uh, for where we find ourselves when we're reading John 3. See, in the beginning, God created the world, and it was... Good, absolutely. He made the land, he made the animals, he made the oceans, and it was ah, good, very good. Now then he made uh, people, and God declared that it was very good, or so good. As the word on the street people would say, so good. In God's perfect creation, we can read that in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, we see this perfect world. Ultimately, people messed it up, though didn't we? Uh, in, the, uh, in the story, Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree, and uh, they were tricked by a sneaky snake, absolutely, uh, but ultimately, humans, people, made the decision to disobey God. That's what happened. And since this time, people who are by nature sinful are separated from a holy God who is by nature sinless and also intolerant to sin. And in this sinful world uh, that we find ourselves in, then after the Garden of Eden, God decides to adopt a family of people. He decides to adopt a, a specific uh, grouping of people, uh, those who are descendant of a chap called Abraham, uh, originally Abram, uh, but then God renamed him to Abraham. And through this family which was later known as the Israelites and then later known as the Jews. Through this family, we see the favor of God poured out uh, onto these people. Grace after grace, mercy after mercy. Every time God's people messed up, which happened a lot, by the way, uh, God would persist and chase after his people. And God highlighted this, uh, this particular group of people as an example for how he wanted it to be for the world. But this was a very special relationship. It was a special relationship, agreement, covenant uh, between God and one set of people. One set of people. 
and God's people as well were required uh, to keep up their end of the deal. Uh, See, they would still continue to sin, and so they had to uh, perform various sacrifices and uh, offer various offerings in order uh, to, um, uh, to pay for the sin that they were still committing because of their sinful nature. And the constant sinning of people, the constant offerings, uh, these were required, as we say, to uh, appease God. And so from this brief uh, summary of uh, the Old Testament, and there is much, much more, uh, but from this brief summary, we know three things. Firstly, we know this. The people to whom God shows favor is an incredibly exclusive family. It's incredibly exclusive. Secondly, it is God alone who chooses... Uh, who, uh, who chooses who is in his family. And then thirdly, the cost uh, required, the cost uh, to, uh, to see uh, the favor of God poured out is extremely high. It's extremely high. And therefore, the Old Testament could be summarized like this. For God so loved the Israelites that whoever kept the commandments and performed the rituals uh, would uh, not experience the wrath of God, but would enjoy the blessings of him. There is a group of people who, as individuals, can choose to fulfill a requirement. If they don't, there is a consequence, and if they do, there is a blessing. That's the Old Testament. So we might think then at this that it's a pretty open and closed book, right? God chooses who he wants. There's nothing really we can do about it. And the cost also is extremely high. So uh, there's not really much we can do about that. Let's not be bother being inclusive. Right? Calm down, you Calvinists. <laughs> but here's the thing. This was the Old Testament. This was the old covenant, the old agreement that, uh, that people had with God, the Abrahamic covenant uh, under the law. And it was a really, really important part of the history of God's uh, redemption story, right? Because without the old covenant, without this picture uh, kind of, of, of what I've just summarized, without this, uh, we would not have seen the exclusivity of what it means to be a child of God. We would not have seen the cost of what it means to be a child of God. We would not have seen the desire that God has for a relationship with his creation and the ends that he'll go to to make it happen. And we would not have seen humanity's inability to keep up their side of the deal. We wouldn't have seen the need for a new covenant. God already knew, but he demonstrated anyway, that his people were unable to keep up their end of the deal. But he loved them so much that rather than write it off as a lost cause, instead he moved to solve the problem, right? And this is where Jesus comes in. This is where Jesus comes in and we open the Bible to John 3. And we're looking at a particular, uh, a particular verse here. Perhaps one of the most famous scriptures uh, in the whole Bible. Uh, Christians know it. Muslims know it. Atheists know it. Uh, lots of people uh, know this verse right here in John 3, 16 uh, to 17. It says this. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And this short passage that we've read, this short revelation of who Jesus is and what has happened here, this changes everything, but also fundamentally nothing. If we recall back to the Old Testament and the Old Testament covenants, uh, we saw, did we not, a group of people who must individually fulfill a requirement. And if they don't, there is a consequence. And if they do, there is a blessing. This framework hasn't changed. This framework has not changed. The model that was set out in the Old Testament, it remains. But now the parts have changed. The variables have changed. The group of people. It used to be the Israelites. It used to be that you had to be a descendant of Abraham, very specific uh, group of people. But now it's the whole world. Now it's the whole world. Every nation, every tongue, Jesus came that none may perish. The group of people can individually fulfill a requirement. It used to be the law. It used to be that they kept the commandments, and when they failed, they, uh, they made offerings, they had sacrifices, they did rituals uh, to appease and to pay for their sins. Uh, when humanity uh, sins against God, it must be paid for, as we said, because God is a holy and righteous God, and so uh, uh, he, cannot, he cannot tolerate sin. Too much sin, too much payment. And so there is still a requirement that must be fulfilled. This hasn't changed. Now the requirement is this. We must believe in him. That he fulfills the law on our behalf because we can't do it. We must believe that he is who he says he is. That he did what he said he's done. That he will do what he says he will do. There is still the requirement that must be fulfilled. And there is still a consequence if we don't. It used to be that we would endure the wrath of God. Back in the Old Testament times, uh, there wasn't really a a concept of heaven and hell in the same way that we have it uh, now. Uh, Instead, everybody would go to a place called Sheol, which is a place of uh, darkness, place of uh, the grave, place of the shadows. Everybody would go there, regardless of their actions on earth. And so uh, so, um, it, it wasn't really that that was the consequence because that happened to everybody. Do you see? So instead, the consequence was that the wrath of God would be poured out on, uh, onto the people, and there would be an absence of blessing. Now, there's still a consequence now. We, uh, if, we, if we fail to fulfill the requirement that of belief in Jesus, then we will end up in Sheol, or hell. We will end up uh, in the absence of the blessings of God. It's not pretty, it's not nice to talk about, but it's true. And there is still a blessing if we fulfill the requirement. It used to be uh, the earthly blessing from God, and that's still true. In the Old Testament, God would pour out his blessing, crops would grow, fields would ripen, there would be much fruit produced, uh, and, and all of this. And that's still true. Now Jesus came that we might have life, and life in all of its fullness, but now there's more. Now there's more, because now we experience everlasting life, everlasting blessing. Jesus changed everything, but also nothing. The framework remains the same, but the variables have changed. 
So at this point, you might be saying, Dom, that's great. Great little summary of the gospel message there. Perfect, thank you. Uh, But what has this got to do with being invitational? What has this got to do with being invitational? Because it doesn't say in John 3.16 that we should go and invite all of our friends and family to church. But here's the thing. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Do me a favor. Think of someone that you know. Someone that perhaps doesn't know Jesus yet. Could be a friend or a family or a neighbor. And ask yourself this. Are they in the world? If the answer is yes, the reality, the truth is, is that God gave his son for them. Now ask yourself this. Do they know about that? And now ask yourself this. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them? Romans 10 says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. John 3.16 does call us to invite. It calls us to inform. It it, it declares uh, that, uh, that the promise is for the world. Everyone is invited. The Old Testament shows us the exclusivity of the family of God. It shows us the cost that is attached uh, to, uh, to receiving the blessings of God and avoiding the wrath of God. But the membership to the family of God is still incredibly exclusive. Incredibly exclusive. It used to be that you'd have to be descended from Abraham. Now it's only available to those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And the cost is still exceptionally high. It used to be that it would cost the blood of animals in various sacrifices to pay for sin. But now it costs the blood of God to pay for each and every sin. But the cost is paid and the invitation is open to everyone. The gospel, which, uh, which means good news, by the way, write that down. The gospel is, by its nature, inclusive. It does invite the whole world to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And so I think it's fairly safe to say that the kingdom of God is inclusive and that what we have in the value of invitational is a biblical principle. But what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Do we go around preaching about Jesus on street corners? Maybe, maybe, there's one, there's one option. But in order to find out how an invitational life, our best bet is to look at the life of Jesus, isn't it? Our best bet is to look to Jesus. So let's turn uh, now to that. Let's find in the Bible the passages of Scripture where Jesus invites everyone to the temple. Okay, it's not there. Is this my cue cutting out? Suboptimal, isn't it? Suboptimal. Never mind. Uh, anyway, we can't actually find the uh, the passage in Scripture where Jesus invites everyone to the temple uh, because it isn't there. We'll try this one. Third mic's a charm. Third mic is a charm. Thanks, Liv. Uh, we don't find any scriptures where Jesus invites everyone to the temple. Right? They're not there. Uh, so, what do we find? 
Well, if we look at the life, uh, the life and the ministry of Jesus, we can see an invitational and inclusive nature. But to what? To what? I'd, uh, I'd like to, to read uh, some passages of Scripture where we, see, uh, where we see Jesus and how he does things. Is that okay? Excellent. Uh, so in Matthew 4, we read this. Uh, Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. These men were uneducated teenagers. They were significantly lacking in any tact and maturity, as we'll later go on uh, to read. Jesus invites them along for the journey to walk and talk with Jesus. In Luke 5, Jesus calls Levi a tax collector, and we read this, uh, Luke 5, uh, 27 to 29. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now, the social stigma uh, surrounding tax collectors at the time was incredibly high. No one likes taxes now, uh, but back in the day, tax collectors uh, didn't really do things by the book. They were criminals, right? Polite society didn't uh, talk to these people, and yet Jesus invites them along, and then they eat together. In Luke 7, uh, 7, 36 to 39, we see that Jesus brings two people together who are complete opposites in society. Listen to this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him uh, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who, uh, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. The Pharisees were religious leaders at the time, very pompous, uh, seemed to be pretty, pretty perfect. And this woman is uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, thought to be a prostitute. She was not regarded well in society at all. But Jesus isn't phased by this. Jesus is not phased by the complete uh, juxtaposition of these characters meeting one another in the same room. You know that nervous feeling that you get when your Christian friends meet your non-Christian friends? Yeah. Is that guy going to swear or blaspheme? Am I going to be uh, kicked out of the church for this? Because they know I hang around with these kind of people? No, absolutely not. Jesus doesn't care. In fact, Jesus looks for it. That's what Jesus does. There are countless more occurrences in the Bible where Jesus includes and invites people, and not just well-nice, put-together people, but the outcasts, the sinners. We're all sinners. We don't see anywhere in the Bible where Jesus hands out leaflets, hands out notifications, uh, tries, to, uh, tries to rally up a whole load of people to join him in the temple on Sunday, where he's going to deliver an awesome message about how he's fulfilling Old Testament prophecies and, uh, and doing all that kind of stuff. We don't see that. We don't see that. We, we see Jesus 
invite and include people, not to the temple, but into his life. Into his life. It is this way that Jesus spends time with people. It's this way that Jesus gets to know people. And they get to know him. And it's only by understanding who he is that they're able to make a decision whether or not to believe that he is who he says he is. Now, Jesus gave us our marching orders uh, in the form of the Great Commission, and they haven't changed. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, Therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he also showed us how to do it. He also showed us how to do it. Our motivation is the Great Commission, to see more people discipled, to see more people baptized, to see more people not perish but have everlasting life. And our method is to seek people out and to invite them into our lives, to walk and talk, to get to know them and so that they can get to know us and ultimately they can decide whether or not to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You know, <laughs> this church is awesome, and this message is kind of like preaching to the converted on this, because this church is full of people that do things the Jesus way, that invite, that include, that open up their lives to other people, that share their story and genuinely want to hear other people's stories too. This church is full, full of people like that. And you know, perhaps there are some areas where the church as an organization needs to, needs to perhaps improve. Perhaps we don't do enough organized outreach events. Perhaps we, you know, we should print those little cards that say you're invited uh, and, and chuck those all around town. Not, those things aren't bad by any stretch. But the mission is not on an organization. The mission is on us as individuals. I, uh, I joked earlier, didn't I, about... Holding on, uh, holding on to a time where I wasn't invited to something. <laughs> and, uh, and truthfully, I'm over it. I don't even like bowling. So, so I'm over that. Um, but there is a significant truth wrapped up in this story because as people, we're desperate for community. As, uh, that's how we've designed um, to be. We're, uh, we, we crave that community. We've been made in the image of the triune God of the Bible, that of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect community. And we've been made in that image uh, to yearn and to desire after that. You know, the very first thing in the Bible that was declared to not be good was not sin. It was loneliness. It was loneliness the very first thing in Genesis 2, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. That's the first thing that isn't good. Most of us will know what it feels like to be lonely. Most of us will know that feeling. And the funny thing is, sometimes we can be around plenty of people but still be lonely. Because loneliness isn't about the number of people that are in a room. But loneliness uh, is about, uh, it's, it's about the absence of those real and genuine relationships, the kind that Jesus demonstrated for us, the kind that we're called to build. When I was first invited into a church, I wasn't invited to a Sunday service. Um, I wasn't invited uh, to that. I was invited instead to a Thursday evening band practice. 
And uh, it didn't matter to those people that I wasn't a Christian. And it didn't matter to those people that I didn't think what they thought or believe what they believed. I was invited. I was invited. And the sense of belonging that I felt from those people was incredibly powerful. Because those people were genuinely interested in me. Those people wanted to get to know me. And they made me feel like I wanted to get to know them. That's church. That's church. And it was a while before I went to a Sunday service. But that didn't matter. That didn't matter. Because what I read very clearly in the Bible and the, uh, the, the example of Jesus is that it is okay to belong before we believe. That it is okay to belong before we believe. And so there's always room here, active room, for people that don't yet believe. Because that's what I see in the Bible. And that's why I'm here. And that's what people need. You know? Especially now. Especially now. The world is... The world's a really tough place to be right now, isn't it? We're coming off the back of this COVID thing, um, which saw loneliness and isolation climb higher than we've ever seen. The effects of all that lockdown and isolation will ripple through our society for years. I'm afraid it wasn't just a case of, oh, you know, we'll all stay inside for a bit while the virus passes and then we'll pick up where we left off. That hasn't happened. That's not the case. The world is hurting. And at the same time, we're now entering into this uh, new season of uncertainty, aren't we? The horrific pictures coming out of, uh, of Ukraine, will it get worse? What will happen? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But we do know this that this is not the time to be alone. This is not the time to be not invited. This is the time, perhaps more than ever, that we need as people, as individuals, to be connected, where we need to be in relationship, where we need to be in community, because it is not good that we are alone. And we need to give people the opportunity, don't we? To believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Because ultimately, Jesus is the one that saves. Jesus is the one that transforms lives. Jesus is the name that is above every other name. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is what our town needs, ultimately. And so what? What do we invite people to? haven't really answered that question, have we? Do we invite people to a life group? Do we invite people to a church service? Do we invite people to revive? Maybe, yeah, sure, it's all great. Or maybe that comes later, because our primary call is to invite people into our lives and to build genuine connections and genuine relationships. Not just surface level, superficial, uh, superficial ideas, but genuine relationship because God said it is not good that we are alone. 
And so I believe that there is a mandate then on the, on the church, wherever we are, and we're obviously a church in Newark, but there is a mandate uh, that we go out and we try our best to make sure that there is no one who is alone. And, you know, we're, we're a relatively smallish church at the moment, and so we, we're going to struggle to do that for 40,000 people in Newark. Uh, but, uh, but that shouldn't stop us from trying. That shouldn't stop us from trying. The world is hurting. The world needs relationship. The world needs connection. The world needs Jesus. Church, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you created us in your image, in the image of the Trinitarian uh, community, that of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that we can see in that in that perfect uh, community Godhead that we can see what community looks like, that we can see what relationship looks like, that we can see the model that we have. We acknowledge, Lord, that you know that it is not good for us to be alone. And so I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we here in this place, in this church, are in a community of believers, that we are part of a body of people here that care for one another, genuinely. And Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to strengthen those relationships, Lord? Would you help us uh, to, to, to deepen uh, those connections, Lord? Would you help us uh, to model our relationships on the ones that Jesus showed us and Lord would you help us would you help us to uh, to model what that looks like into our town as well that we would live lives of inclusivity that we would not be cliquey that we would not be uh, exclusive uh, little club but that rather we uh, we would be able to go into Newark and seek out the people and invite them into our lives. And ultimately, Lord, as we, uh, as we seek to, uh, to, to build genuine, real uh, relationships across this town, Lord, would you move in them? God, uh, would your spirit move through us? Would you create divine conversations and divine appointments? Would you anoint conversations? Would your spirit speak through us? Because ultimately, Lord, we want to see more people come to know you. We want to see more people with their lives transformed by your gospel message. We want to see more people in heaven. We thank you, God, that you sent your Son that we would not perish, that none may perish, but that we would experience everlasting life. So Lord, would you strengthen us as we go about the mission that you've called us to. 
we're going to uh, we're going to spend some time in in worship now. And the the song that we're singing this uh, this song is "Build My Life," isn't it? That's right, yeah. "Build My Life" is a song that many of us all know. And uh, and I think for us, you know, for for many of us in this room, um, we can firmly uh, say that we are doing our best to build our lives on Jesus. We're doing our best to build our lives on His truths, on uh, on His, you know, on His on His on His model, on, on on who He is, on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. And you know, sometimes that doesn't go so well for us, and so we have to uh, we have to keep going back, and we go back to the Word, and we go back in prayer to do our best to do that. But let us, as we sing this song, declare this prophetically over our town as well that there will be more people singing this song, that there will be more people declaring this, that there will be more people declaring that they too will build their lives on Jesus. Church, let's not just sing this song for ourselves this morning, but for our town as well. Thanks so much for joining with us. We hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did enjoy, you can subscribe to hear more from Alive Church Newark. You can share this message with your friends or you can share on your social media pages. We hope and pray you have a great week and meet with God. God bless you.